I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Monday, April 4th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Brett, last week, weed in the state had a small win in the House of Representatives. We talked about it a little bit on the pod. It seems like a step in the right direction, but it's not a step big enough. Legalization is not going to happen in the U.S. this year, much to the chagrin of Canada's companies on both sides of the border. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. And so you're a resident cannabis expert. And so we talked about this last week on the podcast about the MORE Act passing through Congress. Now, you sound like you are less excited or less optimistic about this than other people. You want to unpack for a bit why? Sure. Well, first of all, I used to work in the Senate, in the U.S. Senate for a senator from California. I know what passes in the House. People in the Senate think is sort of the lesser house when it passes the house but also it's just not ready yet like the the senators are not there yet there are senators on the democratic side that do want legalization to pass but not the more act they really want social equity social justice to be well ahead of sort of banking and they want their version to pass versus the house version so i think they're still far away and that's nothing to say about the white house which i don't think wants this on their plate in an election year yeah uh, that's what i heard too i think the white house has made very few indications that they're willing to actually pursue this full speed ahead. And so it's a it's going to be a delicate balance here. But anyways, I thought it was just good to have a quick update on what's going on since we talked about it last week. We It, it is good. And the U.S., you know, they have other stuff going on. There's a, a war they're trying to um, help end. There are soaring gas prices they're trying to help keep in touch and inflation and jobs and a pandemic and so on and so on and so on. But aside from what's happened in the U.S. as it relates to cannabis, what do we have for Peak Pals today? Yeah, we got a heavy Canadian episode after all that U.S. content. So for our first story, it's the carbon tax. For our second story, online harms legislation. And for our third story, new union alert. For our first story, the federal government raised the per ton carbon tax on Thursday by $10, meaning that large scale emitters like corporations in the oil and gas sector will have to pay more for emitting greenhouse gases, primarily CO2. But this seems like it kind of snuck up out of nowhere. What's the background? on the carbon tax hike. Yeah, so back in 2018, the federal government demanded that all provinces and territories implement a carbon pricing plan. Now, those that didn't must follow the federal program and implement this price raise. And that left Ontario, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta obligated to follow federal price hikes. However, BC, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, and PEI are choosing to match the new national standard. And you're probably wondering how this will impact you. Well, while the tax targets um, big emitters, consumers will see higher prices for carbon producing commodities like gas, which is set to increase by 2.2 cents per liter this weekend in provinces that have adopted the measure. And given the well-documented struggles with increased gas prices across the country, which have been nearly impossible to not notice, the Conservative Party called to delay the hike. Still, the federal government said the carbon tax rebates would help offset the cost to consumers. Now, these rebates for everyone but Ontario and the Prairies, which follow their own rebate plan, so sorry about that, will arrive quarterly instead of yearly, with the Fed saying that some families might get back more money than they actually end up paying. Now, the bottom line is carbon policies are designed to punish companies for emitting and get individuals to wean themselves off carbon-producing commodities. Switching to greener lifestyle would save some of your pocketbook and the planet, but these policies are still very new, and we're going to have to see how they have their intended effect on both the economy, but also the environment.
For our second story, after missing a self-imposed deadline for proposing online harm legislation back in February, the federal government has decided to form an expert panel that will meet regularly over the next two months to inform what should be in the new bill. We know, Jay, you and I know how effective expert panels are on this. Can you give the peak bell some background on this online harm legislation? You know, we really need is an expert panel on expert panel. But the legislation aims to combat harmful online content by holding social media sites accountable for the content they host, specifically content that promotes hate speech, terrorism, violence, child sexual abuse, and the distribution of intimate and private images. Under the new law, social media companies will have to proactively monitor and take down posts under a new regulator called the Digital Safety Commissioner of Canada, the DFCC, if you will. So here's why it matters to you and your family. So the panel's formation comes at a time when one in five Canadians have reported experiencing some form of online hate. The rate is actually higher for racialized gains. That's probably no surprise for anyone online. And giants like Facebook are continuing to deal with content scandals, including a recently discovered bug that increased exposure of harmful content. And while there will always be bad stuff on the internet, if this panel is successful, Canada could follow the UK's example, which passed an online safety bill this past month, in making online interactions safer. Like I said, I'm not super optimistic about expert panels. <laughs> neither, neither am I. Maybe an expert panel on expert panels would have some expert panel stuff to discuss, but we'll see. For our final story, in a massive win for organized labor in the U.S., workers at an Amazon warehouse on Staten Island have voted in favor of unionizing this, according to a story in the New York Times. Brett, this sounds like a very big milestone and maybe a bellwether. What happened on Staten Island? Yeah, it may well be. So of more than 8,300 workers eligible to vote in New York City's only Amazon Fulfillment Center, the winning vote was tallied at 2,654. So it was pretty close. Yeah, and Amazon was hired aggressively over the pandemic and now has 1.6 million employees globally, but the company has faced criticism and higher turnover tied to employee treatment. And as the second largest employer in the U.S., Amazon has long been seen as a threat to labor standards because it dominates so many industries, which brings us to the victory on Staten Island for the union. Brett, unpack what this means for organized labor. By the way, Jay, just a quick trivia question. Do you know who the first, like the biggest employer is in America? I think I know, but I don't know for sure, but I'd be interested if you know. My guess is it's the federal government, but then everybody else from there. But the private employer, it might be Walmart. I don't know. I I think it's Walmart, but we'll circle back on this on the next uh, Peak Daily. But the win represents a milestone for activists who have long decried labor practices at Amazon, leaving them empowered to continue ramping up pressure on the company. Now, Amazon, on the other hand, they claim that compared to other businesses in the industry, like I guess their competitor, Walmart, it already pays relatively well and offers better working conditions. Now, big picture, the wind could signal a new dawn for unions in the U.S., which saw worker participation drop in the lowest rates in decades, despite widespread labor shortages. And it continues to be difficult for workers to organize. So the success of the Amazon labor union is fairly significant, even more so because it's actually not affiliated with a larger union. This was an independent effort. And what's next for this move? Well, the workers will now face a second fight in contract negotiations in which they will call for higher wages, better benefits and leave and anti-discrimination policies, and much, much more. The outcome of a separate union drive at the Alabama warehouse is not yet tallied, but in any case, a union victory at one location can have massive ripple effects. Just look at what's happening at Starbucks. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. 
And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for producing this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, shout out to my daughter, Stella Rosenthal, who had her bat mitzvah this past weekend. It was a big life cycle event and she did a great job. So we're super proud of her here. And now all we really need to do is have a good few nights sleep to, to, to make up for the, for the last couple sleepless nights with the family. Well, mazel tov to Stella. There you go, Brett. Thanks so much. Have a good day.